Today on Ag News Daily. That being said, I don't know how it's all going to work out. But you know what? We've got to be prepared and try and be proactive instead of reactive. Because if you have somebody that comes down with the virus, especially in, in our situation on the farm... Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another Agnes Daily Podcast here with Delaney Howell and Ashton Carr. Ashton, how are things down in your world there in Lubbock? Things are going really well today. Had class in person, so I got to get out of the house and move around a little bit. And I'm really happy to say that it is 81 degrees right now. 82 is supposed to be the high for, for Lubbock today, and it's an absolutely beautiful day. It's definitely making me feel like it's fall now that it's September. Yes, it is September. Fall is right around the corner. It's time for everything pumpkin spice flavored, if you're into that kind of thing. But it's also almost time for combines to hit the fields. We've seen quite a few analysts put out their expectations for what they anticipate harvest to be for this year. And so gotten a few different ones from Allendale. I've seen some from Bar Chart and other varied outlets, but it seems like folks are pretty much the same when it comes to corn yield. We're seeing quite a few folks peg the national trendline yield for this year, the national yield for this year, I should say, at a 178.4.2, somewhere right in that area. We're seeing soybeans, however, be a little different. I saw Allendale put out estimates that they're thinking soybean yield could be at about a 51.9 bushels per acre. Bar chart put out estimates suggesting a 50.5 bushel per acre soybean yield. So we are seeing some pretty varied numbers when it comes to what yield will be. And I was also talking to some folks who are anticipating, you know, especially in states like Iowa, where we've seen a lot of damage starting combining and harvest season quite a bit earlier, especially for those folks chopping and turning into silage. I was talking to a friend from Western Iowa yesterday, or two days ago, I should say. She was saying that folks in Pottawatomie County in Iowa are already in the fields getting the combines rolling. So crazy to think September 1st that we had some folks already starting up here, you know, this far north, but it is time and it is fall. You know, speaking of harvest, Delaney, I read an article earlier today about India, and they're facing potential delays in their sugarcane harvest due to COVID-19. And I've been following along with harvest and migrant work, and so I was very interested in this when I saw it come across the news line. But this potential threat would then threaten supply worldwide of sugar or sugarcane. India's harvest doesn't start until October as other producers are typically winding down. But with India being the second largest sugar producer, I believe is what I read earlier today, and being the country with the third highest coronavirus infections, there are fears that harvest will continue to spread as harvest isn't mechanized heavily in India. It's based a lot on migrant workers. So it will all depend on migrant work at the beginning of the harvesting season, as machine work only accounts for 5% of the industry that employs 50 million sugarcane farmers and about 700 sugarcane farms. So I'll continue to keep an eye out on this, but I'm really hoping that uh, these migrant workers not get over their fears because, you know, they 
that fear, I don't think is going to go away of getting coronavirus or spreading infection, but hopefully there won't be too big of a setback in that sugarcane harvest in India. Yeah, that is a big sugar producing country, but you know, it might lend itself to other markets such as the U.S. is uh, being able to step in and maybe uh, work with some new trading partners. So there's always good and bads to every story, I suppose. Including this story, Ashton, we saw USDA today put out their latest net farm income projections for 2020. And despite the pandemic or because of the pandemic, however you want to look at this story, U.S. farm income is expected to be stronger for 2020 than it was compared to a year ago. In fact, it is supposed to be the strongest net farm income in about six years, I should say here, and going to be the first time since 2014 that we saw the U.S. ag industry break that $100 billion net farm income mark. So for this year, the numbers are anticipated to be at about a one point, or excuse me, $102.7 billion farm income. Now, the caveat to this, of course, is that quite a bit of this year's net farm income is expected to be coming from different government payments. And so, you know, we've got market facilitation program payments. We've got COVID, we've got all sorts of different payments coming in 2020, and that is largely the driver for why we're seeing net farm income increase or estimates increase here for 2020. So like I said, kind of a good, kind of a bad at the same time, because folks really probably don't want to be taking government payments. They'd rather have trade and, you know, stable markets. But uh, that is the forecast when it comes to that front. You're absolutely right, Delaney. There's always two sides to every story, but I have some news as well talking about payment programs, but this has to do with changes that are being made to limit payment and eligibility rules for commodity payment programs. Earlier this week, the USDA published a rule changing the 2018 Farm Bill, and this final rule will allow first cousins, nieces, and nephews of farm operators to receive payments. Jonathan Copas, who is the policy specialist at the University of Illinois, was quoted as saying, members of the family who are participating in the farm can also get their own individual limit. So the more family members you add through these provisions, the more limits the farm overall will have. And under the new requirements, recipients have to provide 25% of farm management hours or 500 hours annually. And I know that's not a whole lot of information and I uh, did a, a little bit of reading, but there wasn't too much about the requirements or anything else other than those hours. But, uh, but yeah, we'll see what's to come with these commodity payment programs for those family members of farm operators. Which I mean, to be fair, you can kind of fabricate the number of hours that you've worked on the farm. Yeah. So. And in, in the article that I read, Jonathan Cobus, who again was the policy specialist or is the policy specialist at the University of Illinois, basically said that these rules that they're putting in place are for those people who are trying to find loopholes, basically. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this new rule will benefit everybody on the farm and for those uh, policymakers. All right. Well, speaking of policymakers, we saw our policymakers as well as Brazil's extend that tariff rate quota that I've been talking a little bit about 
little bit about on the podcast here dealing with U.S. ethanol. We saw a 90-day extension for that tariff rate quota, which would essentially allow the U.S. to continue exporting ethanol into Brazil quota, or excuse me, tariff free. So that, of course, ended August 31st. They spent a quick turnaround negotiating that into Tuesday evening. And now at least the two countries have a preliminary short fix to that agreement, but uh, definitely going to be chipping away at that, I'm sure, before that extension ends. But I tell you what, Ashton, that's all the news I've got for today. What about you? Anything else our listeners should be aware of? No, I am all out of news as well. What do you say we hop into the markets for today? Let's do it. And we had some, again, supportive markets, especially on the soybean side of things, but kicking things off first with the corn markets. The September contract closed up just a quarter of a cent today to close at 349 and three quarters. December added three quarters of a cent to close at 358 and three quarters. Soybean September contract put on seven and a half cents today to close at three excuse me, at 962 and a half, while the November added seven and a quarter to close at 962 flat. In the wheat pits pulled back today after yesterday's gains with the September contract shedding eight cents to close at 547 and three quarters. The December down five and three quarters cent to close at 558 and a quarter. Hopping over into the livestock pit, the live cattle contract October pulled back a dollar today to close at 104.47 and a half. The December down 70 cents to close at 108.45. In the feeder cattle pits, the September contract shedding a dollar 42 to close at 138.70. October cut a dollar 20 today to close at 139.45. Lean hogs continue with some green on the screen today as the October contract added a dollar thirty-seven and a half to close at fifty-six forty, while the December up seventy-two and a half cents to close at fifty-six fifty. And rounding out our markets with the Class Three dairy futures, the September contract today added seventy-five cents to close at sixteen sixty-three. The October added seventy-five as well to close just above nineteen dollars at nineteen oh two. Ashton, I'm glad that you brought up the sugarcane story earlier going on there in India because we are talking about sugar for today's podcast, specifically sugar beets. Well, I am very excited as some of you may have seen on Twitter. Twitter, for those of you that follow along with Minnesota or Dakota farmers, sugar beet harvest is starting to be in full swing. And today we are chatting with Dan Youngren of Halleck, Minnesota, who is also the president of the American Sugar Beet Growers Association. Dan, thanks so much for joining. I'm very excited to talk sugar beet production today. Happy to be with you. So I believe we've talked a little bit on the podcast about sugar beet production before, but for those of our listeners not familiar with that production, what does the lifespan and what does the growing season look like for a sugar beet? Well, uh, in my neck of the woods, which is northwestern Minnesota, we uh, usually plant our sugar beets uh, end of April, first part of May. Uh, That's optimum growing uh, planting time uh, during the course of the year. It, it's a root plant, um, so it grows underground, and uh, we take it all the way to uh, our main campaign starts October 1st, but right now we're in the middle of, uh, of uh, pre-pile, which is uh, where we harvest in the Red River Valley uh, for American Crystal. 15% of our crop will be harvested during pre-pile, that will give the factories, the five factories, enough sugar beets 
to get up and running and uh, ramp things up and make sure everything's ready to go October 1st when we as farmers start to deliver our product from uh, uh, field to the piling stations, which usually takes about two weeks. Um, it's been done in 10 days and, uh, and, and other years, uh, they never got to the piler like last year. Uh, a tremendous, uh, devastating loss last year with the weather. But uh, boy, I tell you, we're uh, the, the sugar beet farmer and farmer in, in general is the most optimistic person walking the face of the earth. So we're pretty uh, excited about getting the sugar beet harvest underway here. Absolutely. And how are, how's this year's crop looking compared to last year? No, 2019 was a rough year for everyone. It was a rough year for everyone. Uh, this year, uh, it, it really looks pretty good right now. Um, they're forecasting a 28.4 ton per acre average across the, uh, the Red River Valley, uh, which I grow. And that, that spans 180 miles from the Canadian border down uh, south, from the Canadian border south, and 180 miles east to west. So it has a large footprint. Um, like I said, 28.4 tons uh, on 430,000 of which we produce in the valley would, uh, would yield us about 12 plus million tons. Um, that's a little, little more than we need as per se, but uh, we'll see what happens once we get in. It's, it's all estimate right now, but it's, it looks like a very nice crop right now. I tell you what, Dan, this sugar beet stuff, it's very new to me. I'm down here in Texas, and it's certainly not a crop that I'm familiar with. But with that being said, how do you market your sugar beets? Well, that's the good thing is uh, once they pro uh, cross the scale at the piling station, they become, uh, you know, we, we call it ownership of the company. And the company is the one that markets the sugar. Uh, American Crystal, along with... Um, um, other folks uh, in, in United uh, Sugars are the ones that uh, do the marketing for us and a couple of other co-ops. So uh, we, it's out of our hands, which is good. Um, you know, we can never get everybody on the same page to market things. So uh, this way, it's a collective marketing uh, strategy and um, everybody gets paid after the sales of, of the sugar. So uh, sugar sales are ongoing throughout the year um, and, and is priced and for our consumers uh, and our users. So uh, it, it, it works out very good. Uh, we usually end up with a nice, uh, a nice uh, price for our, our, our sugar beets. And um, for us in the vats, it's a staple, a stable crop. And it's a staple crop that has made our farms. Uh, it's it's a high high end uh, crop. So uh, yeah, the, it's if, if you're making good money at sugar beets, you can also lose good money at sugar beets. It's a it's a very bad game or good game of Texas Hold'em sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of a uh, lot of pieces of farming are that way. But Dan, I want to turn our attention here to talk a little bit about your role as president of the American Sugar Bee Growers Association. Is this commodity group similar to what we see with national corn growers or national yeah. cattlemen's? And, mm -hmm. and how do you work with different growers working with different co-ops if you're, you know, partnered with American Crystal or some of these others? Sure. You know, um, I, I grow for American Crystal. That's my, that's my co-op. 
I, I don't sit on the board of American Crystal or anything like that. So uh, that keeps me disconnected from uh, any co-op business. But uh, yeah, we uh, it, it's just like any other national corn, wheat, uh, cattleman, uh, sugar has its national uh, office in, in Washington, D.C. It's uh, uh, run under uh, the executive director of Luther Marquardt. Uh, out in Washington, along with uh, Scott Hernan and Zach Clark, um, do a wonderful job for us. I am just uh, the captain of the ship, let's call it, but uh, I represent all the growers across the country, from Michigan all the way out to California, um, Wyoming, Idaho, Nebraska, um, just a lot of, uh, of acres involved. Not a lot, really, in the in the broad spectrum of a nation. When you look at soybean and corn that have hundreds of thousands of acres, uh, millions of acres, let's let's say, uh, the sugar industry runs about a million acres. So um, my uh, representation covers all gamuts from uh, dry land to irrigated. Um, uh, it's uh, culminated with phone calls. Uh, out to those folks. Harvest goes on, it seems like, 12 months out of the year with the folks out in California that are, are digging beets when we're planting beets and and Michigan that's been off and running for about two months right now. And so it, it's it, it's really fun. It's a lot of uh, lot of directions at one time, it seems like. But uh, uh, we seem to pull everything together and are able to, uh, to get the job done. A lot of our work is done politically out there um, in Washington with uh, working with farm bills and, and policies of whatnot. Uh, so uh, that keeps us on our toes. And it's kind of kind of tough nowadays with uh, with the COVID. Uh, a lot of virtual, a lot of Zoom. You mentioned COVID and Farm Bill and a couple other political issues, but I want to talk specifically here about COVID for a second. I know that sugar beets don't necessarily produce that sugar that we're using, you know, for baking and whatnot, but how has COVID impacted sugar beet or end usage of sugar beet demand? So, before you said that, uh, that the sugar beet does not uh, uh, supply the sugar that you use for baking? Is that what you said? Is that wrong? I always get sugar beets and sugar cane confused. And which, which one is, you know, used for which? They're, they're both used for all of the okay. above. Uh, sugar cane, of which is a crop above ground, beets yes. below ground. When they go through the factory and the sugar comes out the other end, it's, it's identical. The same. Okay, okay. It is the same. You bet. So it's it's all used for uh, consumption. Your cookies, your candies, your your uh, beverages. Uh, that's exactly where it all comes from. So how has it looked this year with COVID? I know I was baking a lot more being at home, and I think a lot of other people were too. Yeah, you know, it it is it has forced us into a different world. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we uh, try and use. I know at our co-op they are going to use um, um, extreme caution um, when uh, when uh, the factories start up. We're using extreme caution when the beets are going to be delivered to the uh, piling site. The piling site's going to be a different world. 
even on our farms, it's a different world of how we take care of our drivers that, that uh, deliver our crop. That being said, I don't know how it's all going to work out. But you know what? We've got to be prepared and try and be proactive instead of reactive. Because if you have somebody that comes down with the virus, especially in, in our situation on the farm, uh, then bang, two weeks uh, quarantine. And that takes out a whole. Uh, that would take out my whole harvest operation that I wouldn't be able to deliver as per se. I mean, you know, by rules and regulations, you're supposed to uh, quarantine yourself for 14 days. Uh, you know, you, you question if somebody gets it, how that's going to work. I, I don't know, but you try and be as prepared as you possibly can. Hand sanitizer, gloves, masks, um, disinfectant in the trucks and that kind of stuff. The same thing that they're using in the factories, um, major cleaning, ultra cleaning, um, between shift change and whatnot, plastic, plexiglass everywhere. So very much a whole new world that we're living in right now. And, um, We'll see how it uh, how it uh, shakes out uh, by the time we get our harvest done and by the time we get done processing, which runs all the way out into into the month of May. So it's a long processing season and a long time that we got to keep a lot of people healthy at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't even think about that being extended in all the way into 2021, really. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's crazy. Uh, it it's mind boggling, is what it is. It, it is, uh, you know, yeah. out, out in the rural area, you seem to be a little disconnected from it. But when you start doing something like this, you know, it's not hard to social distance on the farm, in a field, pretty easy. You can be uh, up to a mile away from your neighbor. But when you start a close knit operation like uh, harvesting uh, something like this, and it doesn't matter whether it's sugar beets or potatoes or sugar cane or something like that. You have a lot of people in a concentrated area. So we'll, we, we hope for the best. We pray that everybody remains healthy and, and, and we get through this season. Absolutely. Well, Dan, thank you so much again for coming on and joining us today on the podcast. This has been really fascinating stuff. Well, I tell you what, anytime you want to do another one, I'd be happy to do it. It's, uh, it's my pleasure and it's my honor to uh, spread our industry news to the people that really don't know what we do. A wonderful conversation that we had with Dan Youngren, and it was certainly interesting to hear about sugar beets and, and their harvest. So hopefully they have a good one. Yes, it is definitely a topic we don't cover often enough on the podcast. As you can tell there, you know, I was uh, mistaken in thinking that sugar cane and sugar beets are used for different purposes, but that's why we keep having different conversations like that on the Ag News Daily Podcast. If nobody else is learning anything, Ashton, at least I am. But you can check out all of our old conversations and podcasts by heading to our website at agnewsdaily.com or Interact with us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love hearing from our listeners, love getting news articles, comments, questions, concerns, all of that can be found on our pages at Ag News Daily. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.